This episode today is brought to you in partnership with Emergen. Emergen, the global digital business firm, helps some of the world's most respected businesses develop their most promising ideas into valuable digital products and customer experiences faster. For more information, visit Emergen.com. That's E-M-E-R-G-N.com. The insurance industry is the backbone of the economy. It's the reason we're able to take risks, and it's the force that helps put us all back together when disaster strikes. So in this podcast, I'll be spending some quality time with key CEOs and industry leaders to ask them how certain world events can impact the insurance industry and how the insurance industry is impacting the world. We'll also be talking about how they rose to the C-suite. It seems like no one grows up yearning for an insurance career, but here we are. I'm Meg Green, Managing Editor of the online insurance magazine, Insider Engage, and this is CEO Perspectives. Reinsurance brokers are the link between primary insurance companies and the reinsurers who help them spread the risk. Once primarily viewed as salespeople, reinsurance brokers today have evolved to offer a wide range of analytical services to support both the primary insurers and the reinsurance markets they serve. Our next guest, Rod Fox, is the executive chairman of Tiger Risk Partners, a boutique reinsurance broker and risk capital management advisor he co-founded in 2008. He's seen much change in the industry since his first days as a broker for E.W. Blanche in 1985 and has overseen a number of mergers and acquisitions during his tenure. Now Tiger Risk is being acquired by Howden for $1.6 billion, and Rod will become executive chairman of the merged entity Howden Tiger. Rod shares his unique story of how he entered the reinsurance industry and why he works to foster a team atmosphere in the workplace. He also addresses how insurtechs are changing the market and the impact of Hurricane Ian, which made landfall in Florida in September, causing an estimated insured loss of up to $74 billion. Well, Rod, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Absolutely. Glad to be here, Meg. Yeah, my pleasure. And where are you calling in from today? I'm actually in Minneapolis, Minnesota this morning, en route to Chicago later this afternoon. And you were in Florida last week uh, checking on the hurricane damage? I was. I was. And our thoughts and prayers go out to all the people that were affected by that. We actually we have a home down um, in southwest Florida and have two families living with us at the moment who had severe flood damage and were unable to, uh, to live in their home. So it's quite something. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, what was it like down there? You know, interesting. I didn't go up to the Fort Myers area, um, so I didn't see the exact area of impact. Where we are, significant flood surge. Luckily, we were um, about four blocks away from the ocean and were able to uh, survive with, with no real damage. But trees down everywhere, lots of flooding, but not a lot of wind damage where we were. But as you saw from the pictures, probably... You know, lots of wind damage further north. And where were you in Florida? I was in Naples. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, thanks for joining our conversation, Rods. So I was hoping to start at the very beginning. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, small town just outside Philadelphia. That's not far from me in eastern Pennsylvania. Yeah, my dad grew up. I think I told you my dad grew up in eastern Pennsylvania. My mom grew up in a coal town up in the northeast, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Sure, sure. I know Wilkes-Barre. And what did your parents do? My dad was an attorney, um, same firm for about 65 years. Wow. And uh, my mother was a nurse. And then 
evolved from there and into doing some other things. Mm -hmm. And I think her role had an impact on how you got into the uh, insurance business. It sure did. It sure did. So she, she'd evolved to being a writer. She was a nurse. She wrote a book about medical testing and then somehow landed in the travel writing business. And we were on a family vacation where she was doing a story about a dude ranch in Montana. I think it was after my second or third year in college. I think third year. And uh, I really didn't want to be there, frankly. I was uh, riding a horse at the back of the pack and talking to another gentleman who was at this same dude ranch. Turned out to be a guy by the name of Ted Blanche. And he said to me, why don't you come work at my firm? And I said, well, what do you do? And he said, reinsurance. And I thought, oh my gosh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> Turns out, you know, as I went along, I learned a little bit more about his business, called him back and ended up going to work for E.W. Blant. And uh, what, what was your first job for Ted Blant? I was uh, just like a summer intern. I, I actually, my, my goal was to become a football coach. I had played football and lacrosse in college, and I was hell-bent on being a football coach. So I got the job from E.W. Blanche, and then you know I was appointed as a graduate assistant football coach at Middlebury College, and uh, I took that. So I was at Blanche for about eight weeks, and then went and coached football. And uh, what else did you do for Ted? Well, I had worked in the tree business during college, taking trees down, clearing land, stuff like that. And he was pretty fascinated by that. And so I actually lived, he had a property outside Minneapolis that he was uh, redoing. And uh, I became the, the foreman of the tree project. So on weekends, you know, we just cleared land out of his, uh, his farm by the lake. And uh, something unusual happened there. You uh, had told me earlier. Can you tell us about that? Well, there was a little accident. I, uh, I somehow managed to burn the whole house down that I was staying in. <laughs> there was a little bird's nest on a floodlight, and he told me to leave it there. We were painting the place, and uh, sure enough, one evening, that bird's nest caught on fire and caught the whole roof on fire and literally burned it down to the, the nubs. I didn't tell Ted, but he was traveling, so the next day I went into work. I think it happened on a Sunday night, and these local firemen who were great, but they came with, each one of them, I think, had an axe in each hand, and they almost used it as a training mission. And whatever the fire didn't get, those guys chopped up to bits. But I had to come in and tell the gentleman that I was working for at the Blanche office in Bloomington, Minnesota. And I started to tell him the story, and he literally fell backward in his chair laughing, like just belly laughing. <laughs> burn Ted's place down. And then, of course, telling Ted was a whole nother thing. But you ended up becoming a broker for E.W. Blanche. Yes. So I coached football. And then I really enjoyed that. It was fascinating. And probably one of the hardest working jobs I've had. And, and we work pretty hard here. But um, I made, I think, $1,200 for the fall. And uh, so I did that in the fall and then showed up at E.W. Blanche, New York, in December of 1985, and went from there. So what did you think in your early days of insurance? I mean, so you had a choice between football and insurance. Why insurance? Well, I thought the reinsurance was interesting because in a lot of ways, it's, a, it's 
like investment banking, right? And, and nobody had really heard of reinsurance and nobody really understood it. But it looked like this amazing industry that was absolutely a mission critical part of the economy. I don't think I really understood all of that at the time. But lots of opportunity with this private small company, Blanche, and just a situation where it felt like, you know, you worked hard and you did a good job, you could really be very successful. And I love the action of the football. I love the camaraderie. I love the intensity. And so I tried to bring some of that football culture, work ethic, et cetera, to our business. And, you know, to this day, we still try to do some of that. And you've had an amazing career. Uh, you left Blanche to go to Benfield. And then Benfield bought Blanche. And I don't know if you remember, but we had a, an interview September 11, 2001 in Monte Carlo. And it was right after uh, things had been resolved. There had been lawsuits between E.W. Blanche and Benfield uh, that were resolved when Benfield bought E.W. Blanche. And uh, you were telling me how much you loved that company, E.W. Blanche. And you proved to me how much you love the company. Do you remember what, what happened that day? Yeah, I, um, I was able to show you my E.W. Blanche tattoo on my ankle, which <laughs> still exists today other than it's tattooed over with an Iron Man tattoo. And then I have the Tiger logo on the other ankle. And you went on from Benfield to um, continue. You've done some amazing things, including launched Tiger Risk. Yeah, no, it was, it was fantastic. So... Several people told me, you know, you can't start a reinsurance broker from scratch in today's era. And we said, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll give it a shot. And, you know, we we're very fortunate and had great people around us and, and built uh, a really, really spectacular company. And you recently announced a major merger acquisition uh, with Howden. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I, you know, I've known David Howden for... I mean, not forever, but yeah, let's say five or eight or 10 years. And um, we'd gotten together about four or five years ago. And um, we met in London and had lunch and in a very remote spot. And somehow somebody at one of the publications got word about it or saw us or something. And, and literally, we were out at a castle by Heathrow Airport. And they were threatening to publish an article. We just said, you know, there's nothing going on here. And, then um, I've known Dominic Collins and Elliot Richardson and, and some of uh, David Howden's colleagues for a long time. And uh, we got together, I'm going to say it was about a year ago. And uh, I just really liked what I heard. And we were in a unique position. There's, we didn't have to do anything. We weren't looking to do anything. But they had a really attractive global franchise. We're pretty substantially North American. They had a very fledgling reinsurance business at the time. And I just thought that's interesting. And they were private and we like private. And um, David came back over to the U.S. late, you know, fall, early winter of last year. And we got a little more serious and sure enough, we we're able to put something together. And uh, I think the cultures, uh, most important thing to me, the cultures are very similar. And we spend a lot of time, I think you're aware, Meg, talking about team. We think culture is a competitive advantage for us. Um, and as we dug in and really looked at the Howden Group, yeah, their culture is very strong and very similar. So and we're, we're really excited. So we should close in the fourth quarter um, sometime this year. 
A quick break to talk about this episode's sponsor, Emergent. Emergent offers learning, consulting, and technology services to help clients own their transformation and create high-performing teams. For more information, visit their website, emergent.com. That's E-M-E-R-G-N.com. Could you tell us uh, how you've seen the role of the broker evolve during your tenure? What is it like today compared to when you first started in 1985? So when I started in 1985, it's actually, it still frightens me a bit. It was a hard market liability crisis where you could not find capacity. And I literally, I was brand new in the business, but I was thrown right into it. And it was almost impossible to find capacity at any price. And I still remember that feeling. It was tough. So over time, and we've tried to lead this as much as we can. You know, brokers have evolved to maybe more of an advisor. There's a lot more technology. There's a lot more analytics. Um, and the way we think about the broker today, a tiger is, and, and not broker, just the whole firm, is we're in the risk, capital, and strategic advisory business. Our executives that are interacting with clients can bring risk, i.e. reinsurance, you know, skills, a very deep and skilled capital market capability, and then a deep strategic advisory capability. And that to me is, is where the broker is today. It's not just, you know, can I place your, you know, excess per risk, you know, or your marine treaty or whatever it is. So it's it's much more like a complete investment banking capability. And you work a lot with analytics. Um, could you talk a little bit about insure tech and how that's shaping the industry? And I, I know I know Tiger Risk has been involved in in working with insure techs or advising them. Um, what are you seeing? Are they are they shifting the landscape? I think they will. Um, you know, again, it's. I don't know how many insure techs there are, but there's thousands. I get energized by entrepreneurs. I love people that are trying, even if it doesn't work. I think our business is very staid and, you know, you've heard this before, but not many people in America or the world that wake up and say, yes, I go get to buy insurance today. So improving that experience, improving the speed of it, improving the customer service. I think there's lots of room for innovation. And so I see some insure techs doing really wonderful things and others maybe, you know, struggling a bit. But I I kind of, I rile at the, you hear the expression, well, they don't really understand the insurance business. Um, I'm glad they don't, you know, in a lot of cases, because I don't want them to come in with any preconceived notions, you know. Make this like a wonderful retail experience or whatever in some other industry. Like, who cares? You can figure out state regulation and, you know, statutory accounting and all that as you go. But, yeah, I think it's going to continue to evolve. And I, I really love the innovation that it's brought and the, and the challenge, frankly. And how would you describe the reinsurance market today? I think it's evolved over the last couple of weeks since Ian. And I think it will be a very difficult market, um, particularly on the catastrophe side. Obviously, everybody's still sorting this loss out, but I think it's a significant loss on top of year after year of catastrophe losses. You've got mark-to-market pressure on balance sheets. You've got currency 
um, exchange rate pressure on international balance sheets. And I think I just sense some frustration in the business from the, the capital side. And I think it's going to be a very difficult market. Do you think it's similar to your early days uh, when we faced the liability uh, capacity crunch? I think it's the closest thing I've seen so far to that right now. And again, early days, we'll see. And yeah, people with big losses, people who have undersized losses, it'll all shake out. But I think fundamentally, the market you know, is going to be very tight and uh, prices and terms will change. As you look out over the industry, if there is anything you could change, what would it be? You know what I would change? I would change the customer experience with insurance. The education, the touch and feel, the product, I would change that. And then I've got a, I've got a long list of other things, but you know, I would be a little more digital in our business. I mean, for 20 years plus, Rob Bradle and I have believed that reinsurance should be traded you know, in a fashion similar to other financial markets. And we've tried and tried and tried, and it will get there, but that's been a slow haul. And what we're really trying to do is create a secondary market where there's more liquidity, right? Mm-hmm. That's, it's not just about the digital, like, you know, let's be digital. It's how do you create a secondary market that brings much more liquidity and speed to this business? And what do you like most about the reinsurance broking business. You know, you, you come back to athletics and things like that. Um, I like to compete. And it's a competitive business. And you can be average. You can be good. You can be great. You know, good is boring. Why not be great? Um, I love the people. I love our clients. So it's, it, it's also, I find it's a different challenge every day. It's not just the same old grinder. I mean, yes, there's some things that can get repetitive, but I find a new challenge every day. And there's no limit to how good you can be. And Rod, you and I have talked about that team mentality. And and could you tell us how your experience as a football coach, you know, your athletics, how that applies to business? Anything you do where you push yourself and you're committed to excellence has bearing on business. In my situation, it happens to be athletics. I think there's lessons you can bring back to business. And the way I think about it is you start at the end and you work backwards. Football, you have to have a team ready to play a game on September 7th or 15th or 12th. You know, what do you have to do between here and there? How do you evaluate players? How do you motivate players? Yeah, I think football coaches are really psychologists as much as anything, and they're translators, right? They're translating plays and missions into simple terms so that people can understand the mission and execute the mission, and then you rehearse it, you correct it, et cetera. So having studied it for years, you know, high-performance teams have lots of things in common, and we're always striving to be better. We do a lot of work with the Navy SEALs, both active duty and, and retired and bring our people down to interact with them. I think we have a call in a couple days um, with some SEALs talking about managing stress and you know, working, you know, delivering high performance through stressful situations. So we're always trying to learn and get better and the principles of athletics and you know, team, et cetera, can be extremely valuable and has been 
to our business. How do you motivate people? How do you keep that team atmosphere in the workplace? You know, it's multiple levels, Meg, and I don't know if I can describe it perfectly, but I'll try. Um, number one, you have to live it and breathe it. So if you're leading, you have to lead by example as a team player. Number two, you have to talk about it all the time. And I think we talk about it every day, literally. And it's funny, we, we bring people into the organization, we tell them that this is the way we operate, and they all kind of smile and look at you and say, oh yeah, sure, you know, everybody says that. And then I see them like two or three months later and they're like, holy smokes, Rod, this is a real team. Like people really care about it. And then you just have to continue to refresh it and, and rehearse it. I, I was talking to a group of our people the other day and I was trying, because sometimes you have to make it live and breathe. And I said, you know, a great teammate doesn't focus on themselves, doesn't worry about how tired he or she is. They worry about how tired their teammate is and focus on him or her, make them better, and whatever fatigue you have, et cetera, goes away. But just always making sure your teammate's okay and worrying about yourself second. That was illustrated uh, recently. I, I had the honor to host the Inside PNC Honors in New York, and Urod uh, received an individual award for uh, Reinsurance Broker Leader of the Year. And you brought up your entire table to receive the award. We actually have a short clip of your speech. Take a listen to this. It's, it's late, so um, I'm only going to be about 15 minutes, if that's okay. <laughs> no, I just wanted to thank Meg, the Insider team, um, congratulate all the winners. And uh, big day today in our business. Um, God bless all the people in Florida, and we hope they're safe. Um, amazing opportunity for our business to shine. And uh, I've got other things to say, but the only comment I will make is uh, you can't do this stuff alone. It takes a clan, and I appreciate the Tiger team and all the wonderful partners we have in this business. So thank you very much. Yeah, well, I, one of my comments, my brief comments, you, you can't do this stuff alone. I mean, there's no chance I would have been standing at that podium without our team. And they're fantastic. And I'm sure they would have done the same thing in reverse. So really proud that they were up there with me. And it was a fun night. I really enjoyed it. It was a fun night. So tell me about the SEALs. Um, could you give an example of a lesson you've learned from the SEALs and how that's impacted your business? Yes, and, and there's lots of them. One lesson is a term, you can ask anybody a tiger, it's called Charlie Mike. And that's not meant to be sexist, that's your military alphabet letters. Charlie Mike means continue mission. And the way the SEALs define it is, you know, you're going to get a bad person, they're barricaded in a house, you go up and try to get through the front door, and it's barricaded, you Charlie Mike, you continue mission, you try to blow the door off its hinges, it's reinforced, you Charlie Mike, you continue mission, you go to the side of the house, try to blow a hole in the side of the house i.e. you never give up looking for alternative solutions, like be creative. I think one of the things with the SEALs, they're always like there's no single way to do something, right? There's always options. Excellent. 
Excellent. Well, Rod, that is fantastic. It was a great conversation. Absolutely. No, Meg, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> yeah. In this episode, I learned how Rod Fox applied his sports coaching experience to the business world and his vision of seeing reinsurance coverages becoming more liquid, tradable investments. For more information on InsureTechs and brokers, please visit our website, insiderengage.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends. And you can register on our website to be notified of future episodes, when we'll speak to another insurance leader to share their insight and their story of how they rose to the C-suite. Thanks to Rod Fox for sharing his story with us today for our producer, Lindsay Riley at Earshot Strategies for always making us sound good. And to my Euromoney colleagues, Celine Frost, Kareem McGarrow, Michelle Heatherly, Emma May, Goran Pansik, and Pierre Agavala for their help and support. For Insider Engage, I'm Meg Green. Thanks to our partner, Emergen, for supporting our podcast. Emergen is a global digital business services firm with a mission to improve the way people and companies work forever. For more information, visit their website, emergen.com. That's E-M-E-R-G-N.com.